Welcome to the New Life Ministries podcast. I choose to live this way as an act of worship to my God. The Bible teaches us to respond to God's act of mercy by changing how we live. In Romans 12, Paul describes it as renewing our mind, being transformed. In today's message, we unpack some of these choices and discover how different they are from what we might consider normal. Let's join our service as Curtis begins the message. Well, today we're going to look at Romans chapter 12. If you'd like to turn to it, and if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the back if you want to grab one. Those of you watching online through the recording, good morning, glad you're here. Those of you on Zoom, Leah, Ian, Paul, Joe, Fran, good to see you guys. I was out with a fellow pastor uh, a week or so ago, listening to his journey through COVID, and he talked about appropriating our walk with God into our life. And I went, appropriating? It's like, ooh, nice use of the word. And it just got stuck in my head. So appropriate and appropriate are spelt the same. And it's basically the same root. But it's a verb and an adjective. And as an adjective, it makes, means to make something appropriate, right? He wore suitable clothes to the occasion. It was appropriate clothes. As a verb, it means to use for one's purpose. I appropriated his vest for my night out. That kind of idea. So the word has just been stuck in my head. And I love that idea of um, appropriating your walk with God, taking what you know about Jesus, about who God is, and applying it into your life intentionally. And the word appropriate also has a sense of to seize, to commandeer, to force, like it's mine. And I thought, oh, that also fits because there's an aspect of walking with God that you have to choose to apply. I'm going to take this and apply this to my life. So appropriate. Just, I'm going to let that get stuck in your brain today. Um, for me, so for me, as, I, as we were talking, I was like, okay, what, is, what am I learning in my walk with God? What am I appropriating? And one of my growth edges right now has to do with learning to work in peace. I tend to get a little bit wound up and anxious um, over some things. And so I am appropriating my theology to my feelings, remembering who God is, God's sovereignty, God's plan for the planet, remembering my own standing before God as his son and as his servant, and appropriating that to how then I feel as I do the activities I've given to do. So it's kind of fun, appropriate. Now I'll try not to push that word too much in case some of you are going, I don't want to know. So today we're going to look at our response to the work God has done for us. There's a sense of let's appropriate the message. So we're going to look at Romans. The larger problem that Paul, the writer of Romans, is addressing has to do with conflict and tension between the Jews and the Gentiles in the Roman church. But instead of dealing with those problems immediately, Paul pulls the focus away and reminds them of how they got to where they got in their position before God. He focuses on God's mercy, uh, who who God is, who Jesus is, and God's act of mercy into our life through Jesus. That whether you were raised as a Jew knowing the law or whether you were raised as a Gentile not knowing the law, in the end, we are all guilty and doing wrong before God. And through Jesus, we all have access into a new rightness. God has mercy on all of us. And then, and then we respond to that 
gift of mercy to us. Um, And so that's where Romans 12 picks up. Let's consider a response to all that God has done for us. So we're going to read Romans 12. I'm going to read it in pieces so that we follow the logic um, through, because there's kind of three sections, but it's actually one section, and I don't want to I don't want to lose the pieces for the whole. It's with me? Make sense? Give me a thumbs up. Thanks, Paul. Good. Let me offer a prayer. Jesus, you are very good to us, and you um, have done the work to make us right before God, and we praise you. We praise you that we can come talk with you and talk with the Father through an open door. Lord, as we look at your word, Will you show us what you want each of us to take away? Will you show us the peace that you want us to ponder and to let it sort of float in our mind for the next few days, areas of our life that you would like us to bring into alignment or to respond properly to you? I pray this for your glory, to your glory. Amen. Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Pause there. He's calling us, urging us to respond to what God has done for us. So let's talk about this phrase, true and proper worship. In some translations, it might say, this is your spiritual act of worship, or this is your reasonable act of worship. There's this incredible idea that floats in the language that doesn't translate into English. The word is lokikos, lokikos. Does that sound kind of similar to logos? It's actually logos with another vowel in there. Logos is this word that we found in the book of John. The word became flesh. Jesus is the logos. The rational center of the universe, logos, has become flesh among us. So lokikos is that root of rational, reasonable, There was an idea in cultures at the time that when you worshipped, you had to speak the language of the one that you worshipped. So if you were to worship and honor a duck, you would speak the language of a duck if you want to worship a duck. But you have to speak the language of the one worshipping. That's part of worship. So to offer, here Paul is saying we're offering reason or reasonable worship to the one who is reason. We share with God the ability to be rational, to be reasonable, to make rash, to make wise decisions. So to say this is your reasonable act of worship doesn't mean, oh yes, what God is asking of us is an appropriate ask. Yeah, that's reasonable. Instead, he's saying, You are giving an informed and considered response because you have the ability to make an informed, considered response because that's the language you share with your creator. 
We understand who God is. We understand what he's given us. We relate with God. We know what he, what he wants. And thus, we can respond with the same use of our intellect, with uh, a willingness, with commitment, with understanding of what we are doing. We're using our reason as we respond. Another way of saying this whole thing dances with the phrase, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So normally a sacrifice in most cultures around the world would be an animal. An animal does not understand the larger picture of why it's being sacrificed. It might resist being killed, but it doesn't understand the concept of your life as being sacrificed to a god. We, however, do understand that concept, that we are being, we're being urged to sacrifice our life, the life that we would want if we could pursue our desires and the stuff we really want. We can make a willing choice to surrender that and instead live a life that expresses our worship to God. We are making an informed sacrifice of ourself. With me? It's a way of saying, I choose to live the life I will live as an act of worship to my God who has given me this incredible new life in Jesus. This is my reasoned act of worship. I'm aware, I understand, I share that, that language with God of being able to make a rational decision and I am making a choice. So it's kind of neat what's going on here because he's calling us to make choices now about our behavior. And then Paul will begin actually for the next three chapters of talking about what those decisions will be about. So verse two, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. He is good, pleasing, and perfect will. Renew your mind, be transformed. Uh, remember Transformers, more than meets the eye? It's that word. You know a Transformer, they're a robot who becomes a car, becomes a dinosaur, becomes a, I'm looking at Nolan. Did you play with Transformers? Airplanes. <laughs> it's a Transformer, it's one, Optimus Prime, it's one thing that redoes and becomes something else. And he's saying, be a spiritual transformer. Like, renew your mind and transform into something else. Don't do things the way the world around you works. That's not the way anymore. I was talking to my friend Cam, and we were talking about something about following Jesus. And one of us said, yeah, but that's certainly not how it works in the world. And it triggered something in him and he goes yeah but corruption works in the world why is the world our standard for how things should be i was like oh interesting lying works in the world why is that our standard stealing works oppressing others by force works you'll get what you want why is that the standard for how we live so paul urges us renew your mind change Become something new. Appropriate the message of Jesus and what you know about God. And so then, 
it continues more. We start with verse three, and he starts giving us some of the changes, some of the renewal he wants us to do, wants us to live. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each one of us has a body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so we in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in proportion to your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So part of renewing the mind, part of our willing act of worship is found in a sober judgment of ourselves and the activity of serving Christ's body, the church, contributing to the life of a group of disciples. There's two ideas here. Thinking of yourself as just being normal. That we are each just one of many. And then to not live as an independent, I'm by myself, leave me alone, island. These two ideas are already challenging how the world would do things to see yourself as normal and to not live independent. So Paul begins in verse three, even by modeling it, for by the grace given me, I say to you. So Paul's not saying, man, I'm a somebody in this Christian thing, so you should obey me. Instead, he's going, God has gifted me and here is my contribution, hear this teaching. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. There's a great lesson here to figure out, to see yourself soberly, to see yourself truthfully, and then to serve with value, but humble. And not false humility, not self-deprecating. That, you know, that, um, that trait where you will publicly disapprove of yourself? Not that. But also not inflating to talk about what you don't know or to try and be what you are not. Just sober, truthful judgment of yourself. In Scripture, under the qualifications for deacon, one of the lines in there says... Let a person who is being considered to be a deacon, deacon just means servant of the church, let them be tested. Watch how they do their ministry. Watch how they do their activity. When things get, get difficult, how do they behave? What character comes out of them? How do they pray? What do they pray? One writer said in, in, in this idea of act in measure of your faith, they, he said, we want to make sure people don't add their own opinions to the message. Like it's something to just say, this is the message of Christ and not add to it. So one of the questions here is, 
just how do you think of yourself in relation to others here? When you think of others here and think of yourself, how do you think of yourself? And in this sober judgment, Paul calls folks to use their God-given ability to serve the well-being of the church. Play your role in the body of Christ on earth. Which means we all kind of need you, right? Like, I need your contribution in my life. You need my contribution in your life. I said that properly. And so he gives a list of gifts. They're not complete. Prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging. The roots of encouraging is that word paraclete that we use for the Holy Spirit. Contributing to the needs of others. Leadership, giving mercy. Mercy's interesting. I've been pondering this one. Uh, the idea of compassion, the idea of forgiveness, removing the burden that somebody sits under. The other day, I was pondering how sometimes we break as humans. Like, whatever we've had to go through or whatever we've had to endure just became too much for us or too much for a person, and they break. Like, they just, they can't move on and how they need mercy. They need someone to forgive them. They need someone to help lift off what they've gone through so they can continue. So how do you contribute to the church? I have this corny idea of wanting to draw a picture of a person on the wall and put all of our names on it and say, okay, what part are you? But it's so gimmicky. Are you the hand? Are you the kneecap? But in this, in this idea of serving, I've been pondering um, learning by experience, primarily in my role as a boss for Jessica. So Jessica is working on promotional material. <laughs> she just lit up. <laughs> what? Well, Jessica's working on promotional material for Connect2 right now. And I have done a lot of publishing work and worked with designers and worked with print shops over the course of my career. And so it's neat to watch Jessica develop and strengthen her design abilities and for her to learn about working with print shops and learning to work with designers. She's not abandoned. If I, I'm sort of overseeing what she does and if I see a step that I know is easy to forget, I might say, don't forget this step. You know, we have to color match or you know, make sure the designer gets the final call and the final colors. But it's neat to let her discover her skills and to grow in that experience just by letting her do it. I was reading an article on baptism. Baptism being one of those first steps a person does when they commit to following Jesus. And when someone wants to get baptized as a pastor, often I wanna make sure they understand what they're doing, that they, they know what they're committing to and, and such. And this article challenged that. And they said, you know, the act of baptism teaches in itself. Let it teach. Like the act of going through the baptism will teach the lesson that it needs to teach. Let it do it. Like, oh, that's interesting. So when we are serving in the church and when we're contributing to the needs of each other, we're also learning. We, the act of serving also teaches you. You learn what works, what doesn't work. You learn how people respond to you. You learn how to be patient. You learn what happens to yourself when you're pushed beyond your limit. You learn to pray and depend on God in a brand new way. So we learn by serving. So Paul calls us in your act of worship, your reasoned and formed choice to live, use what God has given you to build up other people, 
That's part of your renewal. And then he continues. Right after that, in, in some scriptures, it feels like there's a pause. There's no pause. So after talking about, you know, think soberly about yourself, serve others, love needs to be sincere. Like it flows right in. So it's not serve with a cranky attitude or serve hiding your true thoughts about these people. Serve, love must be sincere. Verse nine. And the interesting, love must be sincere. In the language, there's no verb, which means it would be better translated the love sincere, which means it's kind of a heading. As opposed to love what love must be sincere, think of it as, the love sincere, and what follows is what sincere love looks like. So verse 9, love must be sincere, or the love sincere means hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to be associated with people of low position or be willing to do menial work. The word can mean humble things or humble people. So basically it's be okay with the world of being humble. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If you try to live this little section out, you'll realize that is not how the world works. This is an upside-down world. You ever watched a movie and the camera does something where suddenly the shot is upside down and maybe the shot is upside down and as the scene continues, the camera slowly straightens up so that the people are upright? Or you've seen a camera where someone's walking a hallway and they fall, like they walk towards the camera and then they walk away, but they're suddenly upside down. Usually a filmmaker is trying to tell you the world has turned upside down. Like that's kind of what that shot means. So the world is upside down. The bad person is now king on the throne. The person who deserves to win has now lost. The world is upside down. This passage is telling us this is right side up. We're the ones who are upside down. It was never intended that you respond to evil with evil. That's upside down. This is right side up. So as we renew our mind, the goal is to behave as Jesus behaved, to be as Jesus is, and this is what Jesus is like. It's not just, what would God have me do? But how would Jesus do this? 
I think Charles is the one who often says, how would Jesus live my life? Or some version of that. So how would Jesus express anger at somebody? How would Jesus get frustrated? Would Jesus swear at people? Would Jesus insult them? And that phrase, heap burning coals on their head, what does that mean? It turns out the actual meaning of that looks like it's lost to history. That's, it's a super confusing term. It comes from uh, Proverbs. And so Proverbs was written, um, oh, let's say a thousand years-ish before the turn of the era, before Jesus. And it's a cultural, a cultural reference that we don't know. Um, it sounds like it's saying, if you are kind to someone who is bad to you, God will bring judgment on their head. Like he'll bring heat and fire and flames of judgment on his head. But that doesn't fit this context at all. So it can't be that. It could mean that your loving behavior towards your enemy will make him or her feel ashamed at how they treat you and will cause them to feel remorse. That you will shame them by not bringing revenge or vengeance on them. They will become ashamed of their hatred towards you and they will seek reconciliation. Could mean that. Um, the best that I have found is in a previous era, there was an Egyptian ritual of carrying a tray of coals on your head as a way to symbolize your, your sorrow for sin that you've committed. And so therefore, your kindness puts coals on their head. It adds to their sorrow and their desire to repent of their sin. That seems to be the best. And that is actually in line with the message of Christ. You set fire to the conscience, yeah. But it's just interesting that there's this phrase that history's lost. We're called to be like Jesus in our behavior. So I've often talked about having an accountability partner, someone who walks with me and meets with me every second week, and we review each other's behavior. Part of why we do that is this kind of verse, to realize without Jesus, we would live upside down naturally. We would live not the way Jesus wants us. So when we get together, we talk about what we've been through and confess what we want to confess and let the other person evaluate and say, hmm, that sounds like your response there might not have been how Jesus would have done that. Or, you know, I understand why you did that. Let's find a different way, if it happens again, that would be more in line with Jesus. Just helping, having someone help me to having someone help me so that I am making my choice in response to God. I am choosing to live this way as I worship God and I want to worship well. So when you heard this list, was there anything the Spirit was kind of actually poking you or drawing your attention to? Something the Spirit would like to see you change? Let me summarize and we'll continue our discussion. So Romans 12, Paul urges us to use our bodies as living sacrifices. I choose to live this way as an act of worship to my God who in his mercy has given me this new life in Jesus. It is a reasoned act of worship. I am aware, I understand, I am making a choice, the same language that God has. Part of renew a renewed mind, sorry, we want to have a renewed mind. We want to be a spiritual transformation, a spiritual transformer. Part of a renewed mind is found 
in sober judgment of ourselves and the activity of serving Christ, serving his body. How do you think of yourself in respect to others here? How do you contribute to our well-being? And then love should be sincere. Love sincere. The goal is to behave as Jesus behaves. Anything, is there anything on that list that Jesus is prompting you to work on? And as you practice this, you realize we live in an upside-down world. But this is calling us to live right-side up. And when we do it, you'll find that it is good and pleasing and perfect. God's good, pleasing, perfect will. So where's the Holy Spirit been drawing you? Albert, you, have, you want to say something? Have, you go to the microphone so the folks online can hear you. I like that saying where it says, don't let evil overcome you. Overcome evil by doing good. Yeah. I think that's a better one. Nice. Like, even in verse 17, it says, don't pay uh, evil with evil. Be careful to do what someone thinks is right. If possible, live with peace and with everyone. Nice. I think the thing that struck me uh, most this morning was uh, you went over just right at the very, big, very beginning of it. Uh, Paul always has this beautiful way of kind of, okay, this is what I'm going to talk about. And then he talks about it, right? But there, there's a pattern here. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and know the will of God. So it's it's not, okay, I'm just going to pray and, and know God's will and not worry about doing anything else. It talks about the renewing of your mind. In Ephesians 4, uh, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on your new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's a procedure. There's, there's, a, there's a, a refreshing of it. And I thought how, how important it is for us to get back into scripture, for us to be in, in a prayerful relationship with, with God and working out this new being that we are, you know, it's like a muscle. You don't exercise it, it, it never grows, right? Yep. But in that living out and refreshing, then we can test and know, is this where God needs us to go? And I think often we get it kind of backwards. So yeah, that just kind of big green light in front of me this morning. So yeah. Nice, I like that. There was a book that Christine recommended called, what, Just Do Something? Is that the name of the book years ago? But that idea of sometimes people just wait for God to say something profound before they start. It's like, start, just start. So the idea of sober judgment, that was, that was very helpful. And sometimes in that sober judgment, it's just recognizing that I'm, you know, I'm tired. I need to actually not offer as much or do as much. And so it talks about in proportion to your faith. So it was specifically, let me just see if I can find the verse. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. And it goes on. If it is serving, then serve. Teaching, then then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. So we're on six, seven, and eight. 
but it's the idea in proportion with your faith. And I've been thinking about that for those who are feeling tired and overtaxed because there is so much need that we see the brokenness, we feel overwhelmed by it, and God has given us capacity to do things. But we do and do and do and do until we are just run into the ground. And there is sober judgment that requires me to stay in my lane. The idea that God has equipped me for this, he has not equipped me to save the whole world in a day, you know, or equipped me to even save the whole world through my whole lifetime. He has equipped me to do my part because he is God and he is doing it. The idea there is that I'm not to respond out of my own anxiety to do more than what I'm being graced and called to do, getting so worn out that I'm no good to anyone, no longer responding in sincere love, but in the grind. And the sober judgment for me is just to understand where that is. Because for some of us, pleasing God sometimes is hard to separate from pleasing people. And that's not what he's calling any of us to do. I guess the point is that it is an act of faith to stay in your lane, to do the thing that you've been called to do, equipped to do, and do that faithfully and trust God for equipping, providing, bringing the rest. I like that. What was catching my attention this morning for me is... Uh, I guess, a little bit of a disconnect in my thinking. And so um, I hold to the idea that even after you have forgiven those who have hurt and abused you, you can accept their humanity and not let them back to be present in your life, to continue things. However there is a bit of an element of engagement being necessary for them moving forwards. I'm struggling with how to bring about that engagement while also engaging safely. And there's a big disconnect there. So I don't think it's a disconnect. I think it's exactly what you just said. I think you, you're thinking of it well. Um, it's the experience of doing it that it's one of those things I, I don't think, sometimes you know how we try to work it all out before we get into the moment and there's just a lot of just being in the moment that you have to work it out. You, you've got your parameters. I, you know, I've forgiven, there's a boundary so damage doesn't continue. I have to engage. So, you, so now you have to do it. Um, and that's part of the dynamic of walking with Jesus for real in a real situation. And in that moment, to be paying attention to what's going on and paying attention to what Jesus is saying to you. Um, and if it goes poorly, going home that night, reviewing. <laughs> okay, what went well? What didn't I do well? Let's learn. Um, yeah, that's, it's really interesting. In response to Jessica, the relationship is important as long as 
being in that relationship does not continue to hurt you or others around you. Because sometimes that relationship is not something God wants you back in. Yeah, yes. And that's the thing is, is yes, there is a time to be in that relationship and use your relationship with God to witness to others or reach others. But there is a time when, no, you do not go back into that relationship and you do not treat it. Yes, occasionally in cases of abuse, you are back around that person, but it's with a different level of trust. If you've been in an abusive relationship, you don't let your children be around the person who abused you because that would just be something God does not want to have. So in response to Jessica is yes, sometimes there is a relationship that needs to continue for them. Sometimes there is not because then that's between them and God. That's great. I really appreciate what you said. I really like that. My, my friend says, um, you can't get healthy in the place that made you sick. Like, so sometimes you can continue the relationship, but the context or the setting is going to change. Like it might not be no longer in that house or like other pieces have to change. Um, yeah, Greg's great. Thanks, Joe. We just launched into another subject here. It's 1230. Let me offer a prayer and then we're going to go snack because that's what we do here. Um, and snacking and uh, visiting over food is important. And feel free to continue talking with each other about this. Feel free also to sit with each other and to ask for prayer on things that perhaps you're struggling with. Like, just because I say amen doesn't mean the conversation has to stop. <laughs> Let me pray. Father, Father, God, who is in heaven, whose name is hallowed, and Jesus, who is the King, and our Lord, as well as our, uh, the one who loves us deeply. And Holy Spirit, who lives within and helps us to take our words and our prayers to the Father. Lord, Lord, we live in an upside-down world where we're very focused on our own agenda and seeing ourselves as great and trying to get our way but you have been so loving to us and merciful you have rescued us lord help us to live lives that are worship to you that are pleasing to you um, lord guide us in those choices as we live those choices that say i do this because i worship you as my god Father, please grant us peace. Um, may we experience your presence. May there be joy and hope and a firmness to our walk with you that gives us the strength to persevere and to do what you call us to do. Father, is there anything else I can pray? Just that you would grant us your peace. So. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. New Life Ministries is located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. You are invited to join our service in person or over Zoom. 
please use the Contact Us link to send an email to the church office and request the address or Zoom link. If you would like to use these podcasts as part of your home church or local church gathering, you are free to do so. We do request that you let us know. If there is any other way that we can help you in your ministry, please send us an email.